Hello and welcome to None of Us Is Yet A Robot, the podcast. Uh, my name is Emma Franklin and I'm a trans woman who makes theatre and performance. And this podcast is a series of conversations that I'm having around the United Kingdom with other trans, non-binary and gender fluid folk. So this is a really special episode for lots of reasons. It was recorded at the after party for the Buzzcut Festival, a festival of live art and performance that takes place each year in Govan in Glasgow and which took place last week. I was speaking with Ray Filer and Krishna Ista, two artists who were performing together at the festival in a performance brilliantly titled Fuck Soup, which could be a remark or an instruction, depending on your perspective, and uh, a festival at which I was also performing my show Rituals for Change. Okay, full disclosure, we were in a stairwell in a club and it was 1am and we may have had a tequila immediately before. That said, I really loved this conversation. We geek out about the festival and about performance work we'd seen in the week, and Ray manages to say phrases like a domestic English iconography, while the best that I can do is to take long pauses between my words. So this conversation takes in bull testicles, kink, and the incredible lineup at Buzzcut 2016, where I saw a huge amount of performance work that tickled, challenged, and troubled me in oh so many interesting ways. We also take our lead from the brilliant topic given to us by my previous guest, which is overcoming challenges, although I immediately misquote this and we discuss overcoming obstacles, which is a far less positive way to approach the same thing. I think we end on a really interesting note as well that uh, we don't fully resolve, but I definitely want to take up again in the future. So enjoy, and without further ado, here is episode five. We are the robots. We are the robots. Uh, and oh, look, we're rolling. We're recording. Um, hey. Hello, and welcome to uh, the fifth episode of None of Us Get a Robot podcast, which we are very excitedly recording uh, at the Buzzcut after party <laughs> in a stairwell um, <laughs> at the uh, art school and I'm joined by um, Ray Filer and Hi. Krishna Ista. Hey! Um, two artists who've been performing at the festival um, and so to, but to kick off with the first question which I ask everyone, um, how do you currently identify? How do you identify Ray? Um, in terms of gender? Um, in terms of my life? Well, that's a very good question. I tend to just put it out there and then see how... And let people answer. And let people answer. Um, I identify currently as drunk. <laughs> um, but in my spare time, I am a writer and a, a, I guess a performance artist and a trans-masked non-binary queer person who uses they pronouns. Perfect. Um, I identify it also as being in a stairwell <laughs> with some incredible babes. I can't Isn't tell that? if you're making fun of identity or not, but that <laughs> note maybe you should give. No, that was purely serious. Yeah, okay. Um, I identify in general as a person, I don't know, a theatre person, like actor, performer, person. Um, in terms of gender, as a trans-masculine, genderqueer person. Uh, in terms of life, as an Indian person. Um, 
in terms of sexuality as a queer person, I what else? Like, yeah, that's all my tip points. This is great. So we've got it all basically covered, but we are all currently identifying as being in a stairwell. Yep. Um, what's? I mean, I feel like this festival has had a lot of work that's been looking at gender and identity in it. Two years ago, I first did my. Two years ago, I first did anything at this festival and the difference just in how much is being talked about, I'm identifying as drunk also, um, <laughs> has been huge. I mean, how's it felt for, for you both being here? Is there anything that you've seen that's resonated? Um, well, actually, I was just having a conversation with someone about how um, connectedly, like so many of the shows this year seem to have dealt with um, kink and sexualities as, mm. as themes. Um, and I think that we were maybe like a little bit hesitant about bringing some of that stuff to here, um, but it seems like everybody else has been thinking along the same lines, yeah. um, which is really nice to see. And, I, and I've seen, I mean, earlier I was watching someone um, hanging some, uh, what I presume is a set of bull testicles off of their own testicles and standing on top of a plinth and, and kind of swinging it around, at which point I was like, well, yeah, I've definitely come to the right festival. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely been a strong theme of, um, as you say, kink throughout. And did you see the piece, the, um, the South African piece as well? Yeah, well, so I only caught the last half of that. But um, there was so there was this piece by uh, two South African artists called, was it called Rough Music. Rough Music, yeah. Yeah, and it was um, it was really inventive in terms of using domestic English um, iconography um, as a way to create scenes of otherness. So um, there was all this like there was like the, you know, the best china and this get well soon balloon and then just this guy wearing like a, a head cage and these incredible leather boots up to the thighs with um, I don't know what you'd even call those heels but hoof boots. impossible heels yeah, yeah hoof boots and like and like real sh like bodily morphing stuff and like public humiliation and a scene of throwing tomatoes and I don't know where I'm going with this but basically it was great yeah it was. Um, Krishna? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what have you seen that's like resonated oh. for you? Well, at the moment, I think what's like fresh in my head is the same piece Jay was talking about. But I think uh, uh, the piece where this person uh, hung like some cow testicles of their own like penis slash testicles. Uh, and I think what resonated with me in that or what like made me grab. Wait, what am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what's making it stick in my head is the fact that this person uh, was basically harming themselves, putting themselves through this like these risky situations where they like put out these three cans and one of the cans had gasoline in it and one of the audience members had to pick one that they poured over their head and Whoa. then they lit a match over themselves and if it was gasoline they would have gone at like entire body would have gone up in flames but thankfully it was the one with water yeah, yeah. in it but what resonated with me with that piece is the fact that it was this there were these two Mexican artists, one of them on stage, and they were talking about uh, like colonialism and how there was this spoken word piece in the piece that was talking about how like homosexual, like uh, homophobia was brought into their country and that they used to be known for being these like two-spirited uh, healing souls, whereas like white people turned out ruined everything, yeah. and then 
they were talking about like how queer people face these risky situations all mm. the time and that's what I drew from it is the mm. fact that this person was standing there being like I'm putting myself in this situation by myself I'm owning these situations mm-hmm. I'm putting a knife through my face and I'm like yeah. gonna set myself on fire yeah. because that's what could happen every day to them and I think that is really like sticking my head at the moment I felt there was a really strong theme of that actually of violence against um, people and there, there was a piece that I know you didn't see last night um, and I'm not I'm not normally into the blood work yeah. in, in live art that um, I can find it quite quite difficult but this piece um, the artist there was a tattooist that was um, making long straight incisions I guess in various parts of their body um, I don't know how the artist identifies but I they're definitely fucking with gender in some way, it's fair to say. Um, and there was a long white piece of paper down the room with various uh, gestures drawn on it and various words and one like a thing about binding and one thing about protection and one thing about resistance. And they would, so in silence, be um, have this blood drawn and then they would go and they would lie in a fetal position or in a position that I would relate with being attacked. Um, on the paper and then sit up and, and leave a, and you know leave the trace of their blood in a long line and I was in there I mean I was in there for quite a while and it was re- I, I don't know it did an awful, it took me to a lot of places in my head and something about kind of shattered quite a lot of the illusions of safety that I think I surround myself with as a trans person as a non-conforming person um, and I think there's a lot of stuff speaking to that about to, to violence. Yeah, yeah. Also bodily bodily vulnerability. Yeah. There's another one like um, talking about like like cutting into the body and then and then also um, the Summer Comics piece last night um, mm. where she she's reenacting the Easter story like you know ostensibly and it, she's Jesus and she's got these two guys who are all the other characters of the Easter story. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of an excuse and it's like a funny device and, and, and what she does is essentially gets she just sits on one guy's face right at the beginning of the show and it's very it's like very deliberately awkward and then she gets one of them to penetrate her um, in the guise of her being Dalton Thomas or something. Um, but there's like a lot of putting a body into a space and being like Hi, my body is vulnerable. You can penetrate my body, and let's see what people make of that. Mm. But also, I feel like that her specific piece. Or I feel like every time I see it, it's a lot to do with her being like, I have the right to be a woman on stage mm. doing this right now. Like, mm. I think she's always had. Every time I see her, like uh, fisting herself, or uh, she gets someone else to fist, or whatever it yeah. is, it's almost like. I don't see her as vulnerable there. I feel I see her as like this empowered person being like, I'm doing this on stage, you can watch or not, like I don't fucking care, but I'm gonna do this. And I think I see it the other way around where I don't see her I don't see her in a spot of weakness at all. I see her as with all of I don't I don't say vulnerable as in weak, I mean I think that like her vulnerability is really strong also. Yeah. But it's like it's like allowing a whole group a whole room full of people to watch you doing something which is often seen to be quite private Um, yeah, so vulnerable and strong. I, I absolutely love her work, um, and in with getting the back of the van, it all, it always 
think always um, I find it always hard to process and that's really that's really um, fun but um, that vulnerability I didn't read her as vulnerable in that performance because she's putting herself in this epic huge hall in front of the organ she's in control she's got the microphone she's doing you know all of the stuff she's calling all the shots she's directing everything she's putting um, Dowson Thomas's hand inside her she's guiding it but but then that reality of walking home at the end of the night and as soon as the performance is over and she's out of the building then all of those things are imposed by the world around I guess I felt a lot of that um, did you see the piece from the Nigerian artist? Uh, was it the was it called Out in the Room? You know, I missed what a lot of things were called because Isn't I would just it, go into whatever was, was it on. Was a piece about reclaiming daughter? It was called Jezebel, Jezebel's Mammies and Jezebels. Yeah, I didn't see it. It was this piece, yeah. and again, like somebody really claiming a claiming a space, showing an incredible vulnerability, and also. Uh, an aggressiveness that um, that we don't normally see. Um, that was another piece that was that really stood out for me. Um, and your piece, of course, which was the standout. Fuck <laughs> shit, which was <laughs> you know, arg ways. arguably uh, worth the price of the uh, pay what you can donation fee. Fifty p. Which was how how was it for you? I mean, can you describe your piece? Describe the piece. Yeah. We're going to describe it completely differently. Yeah, we are. Do you want to? Who's going first? Do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I don't know. Who do you want to? You go first, Krishna. Oh, why? <laughs> How would I describe the piece? I would describe it as loads of different characters that depict loads of different queer people. Queer people that are even queerer than queer, like lesbians who are into men, or like um, I can't it just didn't make it into the final, into the final <laughs> show, did it? Yeah, it did. I know it did. The lesbian that's on yeah, Grinder that totally made yeah, it. No. What? See, yeah. this is what I mean. Okay. <laughs> it's totally made a different I show, but we performed the same thing. The show. <laughs> um, how would I describe it? I don't know. It's kind of like loads of characters and us at the same time. I think all the characters came from us, yeah. but. We, the, the way we originally pitched it was to do with um, telling queer stories that are that often go unheard in um, the set of like standardised acceptable narratives about queer people. So we looked for like strange queer little things about queer people. But also us, they're mostly but from they're us. Also really. from us yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there were there were bits where we were doing monologues about ourselves and about our lives and identities and experiences and then there were bits where we were just like dressing up as people and having jokes and then there were also dance breaks <laughs> and lots of costume changes and striptings. Right. Yeah. And there's a butch on butch lap dance. Which is right. I mean I've I've basically seen we basically relearned if anyone's ever seen Tommy Tamaki's uh, strong hands butch on butch lap dance. That's what we recreated yeah. because we thought you barely see butch on butch narratives in like any any queer like Siskiya men is a different like <laughs> 14 not talking about yeah. them you, you see like mask for mask but you don't see butch on butch yeah yeah I, th I think that's something that really stood out from your show is that invisibility of trans masculine identity anywhere at all and actually to see you owning that and taking that space and being so incredibly 
generous with what you shared, but also unapologetic in the delivery of it. And then with hilarious sketches as well. Like it, was a, it was a real way of stamping that onto the, um, onto the scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really, I think we were quite worried about how the show would go and how it would be received. And then in the event, a bunch of people came and laughed and they laughed at points where we weren't necessarily expecting there to be laughs. Yeah. And that was really gratifying. And I think loads of the feedback that we got was including from Emma that the bits that went wrong were the bits that were great. So I feel like that's like a live art standard where if things are going wrong, then you're doing it that's right. That's just like a life lesson, right? Yeah. If it's going wrong, embrace it. It's definitely, they're, they're definitely going to be the richest, the most interesting bits. Um, Buzz Cut's an amazing space, like I really, love coming here for the for the week and it feels like a real inclusive family and a place where people are really you know I say in, in my piece about being looked at but not seen and I feel like actually within the within the festival there's such a lot of openness and people are in, in a way that I don't feel anywhere else outside of queer spaces and what's interesting about Buzzcut is it's not I mean it's queer in its in the fact that it's a live art scene and that is a, uh, that is queer in itself but in terms of gender it's not an especially queer space but you have this real openness and a lot of people who are you know like a lot of respect I felt um, I have felt over the last couple of years as well like you know coming towards where I, where I am now um, but the theme of this podcast stairwell uh -huh. that was given to us by um, uh, by Kate, who I spoke to, was overcoming obstacles. Um, like, what does that? Okay, firstly, <laughs> what does that bring up for you? But also, like, in terms of you both presenting work here, like, I mean, you're it, it's a really open festival, but you probably are among the, the youngest people performing at the festival. Hey, I'm, excuse me. <laughs> I, I am deeply old. How old are you? I, I am deeply old. Um, but, but in terms of like, I don't know, overcoming obstacles, but in terms of the, the, the context of being at the festival as well, I mean, or, or to presenting the work that you presented, I guess, what have been the obstacles that have been overcome in order to bring you to that point of standing on that stage, taking off your drag queen wigs, putting on your butch straps and you know doing a <laughs> doing, doing the ra doing the rap um, uh, boot camp dance um, yeah um, I mean so we found this is the first show that we've made together that's been anything like a full length show and we ended up creating a lot of it very much at the last minute um, partially due to time constraints and partially due to like a load of other stuff coming up um, so we, we sort of estimated earlier this afternoon that we spent about 10 days writing it and that is like a very, very intense, short period of time in which to come up with a show and then put it on. Um, and I think that working in that kind of intense headspace brings up a lot of stuff to do with um, what it's like to work with someone else who's very stubborn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we definitely had, I think there was way too many obstacles to overcome to be able to do this. Like yesterday, we were on our way back home and I was just thinking that I couldn't believe like we got through and got there. I was just like, 
I just I think personally I was like I don't know how I got through that week just doing things I was like I don't know how I like pushed myself to get through because after that I just wanted to break down and cry and be like I'm done I never have to do this again but I think we've like I think it's been really hard both of us to be yeah. able to do it which is kind of weird because I think we thought it'd be easy to do yeah but it's not if you like spend all your time together and you're making stuff together I mean so That's maybe fine. one of the things that came up for us was what it's like to work with someone as a creative partner when you're also trying to date them yes. <laughs> Like how what it do is. you mean trying to date them? <laughs> <laughs> One year later, and you're like trying to date. Them. But yeah, that was that was definitely a massive. Like yeah. it was kind of like I hate you. Get out of my life. <laughs> but after it, we were like, oh, actually, I like you again. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that was. I think that's a really intense relationship. I've had that. I've done that in the past where I've made work with um, with my partner and. I find the hardest thing in that context letting go and, and determining when you are going to be um, when you're going to be uh, determining when 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 am I the collaborator of this piece of theatre that we're making and when am I the partner who just needs to say, oh my god, your collaborator is an asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and personally, I, can't, I am unable to not be the theatre collaborator who goes, you know, and I would say sometimes, do you want me to answer that question as your partner or to answer it as uh, the person making the piece of work? And she would always say, as my partner, and I would always answer it as the person making the piece of work because, you know, what's the, you know, I really, I really resonate with otherwise? that because I think one of the main point, like one of our main like fighting points during the process was that Ray was constantly like, you're being rude, please stop being rude to me. And I was always like, but I'm in work mode when we're doing this. If I think something's happening, I'm just like, no, this is not how it's done. And I feel really bad, but also it's, it's going to come it's out passion. of my mouth. But then also Ray's like, no, it's fucking rude. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry I said that or I did that and I'll never do that again. How does it, how does it differ <laughs> for you, um, Ray, in terms of being in bands and making music? Ah, um, it's an interesting question. Thanks. Um, I think what's easier about being in bands is... Um, okay, well, it depends on the band, obviously, but like... Um, I've usually been in bands where there's more people, so there's like five of you in a space, and um, and sometimes that means that there's many more people to bounce ideas off of, or to like take the stress, or to absorb some of the interpersonal power dynamics. And sometimes it means that like an unofficial hierarchy of decision making emerges, and like often I'm the asshole who's making the decisions. So like um, sometimes I've been in bad spaces where I've just been like let's play the song like this and everyone's been like okay you're the dickhead we'll, we'll do it like mm. you know fine um, but I think but in our when, when there's like two of you and you're both like incredibly passionate and you both want to be in control um, hey guys that's alright come through no 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 come through we're doing a podcast it's rock and roll yeah when there's when there's two of you and you both have an equal stake in the work and Nobody feels like they're just there to like come along and jam. Everyone's there to be an equal part of the creative process. Then you're going to like end up bashing heads together. And I think that like what we found is that we come up with really good stuff through that process, but it's very difficult emotionally. Yeah. 
think you came up with a really I think you've got a really exceptional piece given the given that those circumstances as well. And I mean, what? How was it to share so much personally as well? Like, how did that feel? I think it was. Do you want to go first? Can you can you clarify what you mean? Well, that there was a lot of there was a lot of you in it because there were. So for something that on the surface was very funny and was had all these characters larger than life and the sketches, but then the moments when you would step forward and have your give your monologue about your experience at school or give your give your monologue about six reasons why white people suck, and these are very and, and these then we read very much as your opinions coming through. Um, how you know just how how was that? I mean, shall I go first? Okay. How was that? I think personally, I was really, really terrified because I think I don't think I've ever made a piece where I have spoken as myself. So I feel like I make things with characters a lot. So a lot of my everything I do has all three goes involved, and all of the acting stuff I do, I just become another person. So I don't have to give up any part of myself, and I like that I become this other person because I like playing other characters. Because it's less scary, yeah. um, but like the monologue I did was, it was uh, called Six Reasons Why White People Suck," and <laughs> I was I would cut that out until the last minute. I was like, I can't do it to a room full of white people except of like three people in there that aren't white. I just couldn't do it. I was like, I'm so scared, but I'm gonna do it. But the response was great, so it was kind of like giving up a part of yourself is terrifying, but also. I think loads of people that spoke to us after, including you, said those are the parts that felt most genuine and those are the parts that people most enjoyed. Did you get any response to that speech? Did people come up and comment on it or did everyone just ignore it? Um, like, not ignore it, but it not directly respond to you? No, no one... I mean, there was only three like people that I would assume weren't white in that room because I looked out to check. Yeah. Um, all the white people that spoke to us, which is basically everyone that spoke to us, hasn't mentioned it at all. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. But in that moment, in that space, they laughed and they reacted to it. Mm-hmm. And it could have been an awkward, oh shit, I'm that white person that does that shit stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or it could have been a, I don't know what it could have been, because <laughs> no one's mentioned it after. So I don't know. It's interesting. It definitely felt like you know, it definitely landed. It got some of the biggest laughs, which was interesting because it was mm. like you know being like this is why white people are shit. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was defensive laughter as well as yeah. like rec- recognizing yourself in, in what you're saying laughter. But you played it really well. I mean, as I was saying in the rehearsal, I think you, you played it really well because you were able to put those very valid points across, but without it being an attack on the room, which meant that everyone could laugh and could, could hear it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would have been awful if everyone in the room would just basically just like spontaneously like, walked out. Yeah, they were like, oh shit, these people are just trying to make fun of me. <laughs> which, in a way, I guess I was, because yeah. I was trying to say it in a way that made it seem like it was a joke because it is a joke that all the points I mentioned were you know, white people are thinking you know, do you catch the call without knowing the context or uh, you know, etc. Any other obstacles you've overcome of late or uh, in, the, in the past? In our lives. 
in our lives in general? I mean, it's a great question to be asked because I feel like it can mean there are obstacles perpetually. There are con constant obstacles to be to be overcome. I had a real um, I had a day on where are we now? Sunday, I think. Yesterday, fuck, it was only yesterday of massive anxiety heading into Buscat and getting from the flat where I'm staying in Glasgow in in. And I feel like that's a not, it's not new now, but new in terms of um, like for a long time in my life when I, before I, I, I came out as trans, wasn't something that I had to deal with. And then I've actually, through conversation today and yesterday, found that there were a lot of other people. Is that true? We are, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But I feel like it's a really boring obstacle to have to overcome anxiety and panic attacks but it seems to have been a very real like a lot of people were kind of having the, common you like know. the major obstacles to overcome yeah. anxiety like how you internalize all the shit outside mm. and how often that is in the form of panic attacks or anxiety that's something that i think is really crucial to talk about i don't know about how it's overcome because it's the passes and it's been really gorgeous to come into like a, again come into such a nice space and I think the festival's really catered for that this year with providing a rest area and a silent area that because an overwhelming space at times with so many people and so much stuff and big themes coming up and things that are triggering for people in you know super real ways um, so I think they have done a good job on that but that's definitely something I'm learning to deal with. I was saying today how I thought the accessibility of the entire festival is amazing in so many ways this year uh, and we went to the rest area today and I thought it was amazing because it was like but it's so intense with so many people that especially if you go around performance venues slash live art uh, scenes all the time you know half the people there yeah, yeah. and it's constantly chatting constantly chatting about everything and anything and everyone wants to like talk about everything that's political mm -hmm. and it's just like so intense sometimes and it was amazing to just get away and I slept for 20 minutes it was amazing slept got up and then went back into it and I thought that was such a good space to have yeah. I think it was yeah. really it was really important that space definitely it's nice to come to anything where people have given explicit consideration to accessibility and I don't know whether it's like enough but it's certainly more than I've seen at any other place before yeah yeah. Um, I think in terms of this is like a really mundane obstacle. I'm trying to think of like what an interesting obstacle to overcome is. But um, I've been thinking a lot about being a performer who doesn't really like do lines on stage. Like I don't really do so much acting, um, and then coming and doing a sketch show um, and having to to be on stage with someone who's a professional actor and. Um, well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> if you get paid for it, you're professional, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, yeah. Um, I wouldn't even take that as a marker. I think you're professional when you consider, consider the work that you are. Or, otherwise... or like maybe you want to like destabilize the idea of professionalism entirely. But like yeah. you're, you're an incredible actor, and being on stage with you is like um, challenging and inspiring. And so I guess a lot of stuff I had to do internally was to kind of face up to that idea in my head I'm not an actor and be like 
okay, well, whatever, I'm still going to go and do the, the stuff that we've come up with and like, do it as best as I can. Um, and doing that felt really great. And, and you did brilliantly. Like, you kept saying, oh, I'm not an actor, but then you'd go into the scene being like, I'm this different person. It's like... <laughs> and at a festival that is full of people who are not actors, because this is... And what I mean interesting about Buzzcut Festival is that it's a real crossover between theatre and live art. So it's yeah. not... It, it, it isn't just kind of action-based, art-based book-hanging testicles from your testicles type shows, there are also, um, not, and, and that's me being flippant about somebody's work, but because maybe that was more in the theatre, I didn't actually see that one. But um, there's definitely a flow between people who are, because I liked when you corrected me the other day and I said, oh, you know, something about you not being a performer, and you corrected me and said, well, I'm not an actor, because of course you are a performer, yeah. but in a different context. Yeah. And I think that's really, resonant throughout the festival is people who, some people who aren't even performers, people who are performers but not actors, people who are actors but not, you know, artists and everyone's, and again we're back to the question of identity, where we began and maybe that's a question, okay, so in performance language, how do you identify, identify? what do you say you are when someone asks you that question? (laughs) Um, I say that I um, I fear because it depends what I'm doing or what show it is. But like, I've been a musician mostly for you know like I guess like 15 years, and um, and then more recently I'm a drag artist and I'm a performer. Um, but only in the last two days am I an actor, <laughs> which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. I feel. I call myself so many different things because I feel like I do so many different things that I have no like stable identity. But I think recently I've been calling myself more of like, I say like active performer, theatre person thing. I think you own own actor more than anyone I've hung out with in quite a long time actually because there definitely was a point when I stopped using actor very consciously and that felt like a real breakaway and a real significant point in my work and then it, a lot of people that I'm around would say they are theatre makers or performers yeah. and it's really refreshing actually to be you know to be reminded that actor is also you know I, I've, I've run away from it so much because I wanted to be seen as having agency in my work yeah. in a way that actor can be quite a passive yeah. role yeah definitely um, I, I think Sorry. No, no, go. No, go I, I call myself an artist these days, which I like the ambiguity artist of. Artist is a really big term, though. Yeah, and like, it's, taken a, it's taken me a long time to get there, and I really like the, I like the implications, and I like the implications that it has for how you live your life. I like the ambiguity in terms of what that kind of art is, because I feel like sometimes I'm making art that's more visual art, sometimes I'm making art that's more performance. But it's definitely a flow. As much as, it, as much as anything else is. Yeah. I was just going to say that for like ages I would not call myself an actor because I thought that I couldn't as me being this like gender non-conforming person that does mostly like roles that aren't mainstream that I couldn't call myself an actor and then it took like so much for me to be like no actually I am an actor I'm going to call myself one and I don't care if people think that's weird or like that they think if they look at me they're like you can't be an actor I'm like I don't care so it actually took a lot to get there there is that question and of like um, 
overcoming obstacles thing. Like, at what point in doing something can you allow yourself to use the term for what it is you're doing? Yeah. Like, I remember when I started out as a journalist, like, it was definitely a few years of writing for money before I felt comfortable saying to people that I'm a journalist. Yeah. Similarly with, like, performance, similarly with any of the other things that we do. Yeah. And there's a kind of, like, um, I think there's like a, a kind of like worry or a modesty about not wanting to sound like you're bigging yourself up doing something that you haven't done enough of. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I mean, not wanting to kind of crowbar gender back into the conversation, but that's definitely how I felt with claiming trans identity as well. That for a long time, like for a long, I felt I had to do it to prove my to prove to people before I could claim that identity, which is fucked up. Yeah, really. definitely. Or the idea that you have to look like something to be able to claim Absolutely. that identity. I had that thing where I was like, well, I'm kind of this femme-looking person at this point in time. And as I sign female, but I can't be trans. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah. And it's kind of really weird how it takes, like, like so much unprocessing for all forms of identity for you to be able to claim it. Something that I liked in, in, your, in your piece was how many, like, all of the different combinations of clothes and actually in um, Jack's piece as well which did you see was it before yeah, you arrived yeah, yeah. yeah. First day. and I which I absolutely loved um, acts of self-healing is yeah. it called yeah, um, like and so this this artist is putting on and taking off various clothes and items that we associate masculine and feminine and then stepping onto a kind of catwalk mm-hmm. hilariously with a toilet on the end of it and repeating for four hours I think on this occasion this set of movements but that flow between um, between states yeah it was it was so beautiful to watch if I am I am I gonna like lower the tone if I point out that Jack also had 15 minutes of videos of them shitting during this performance I don't think you're lowering the tone I think that's that's part that was part of the piece it was amazing to watch because I think it's like that's when I thought someone like Jack was vulnerable. That the fact that I can't imagine a human video of myself taking a shit. No, I thought mm. I didn't think it was vulnerable at all. I thought it was hilarious and amazing. I thought it was hilarious, and then I felt kind of that I wasn't sure if if hilarious was a permissible yeah. response. No, it was yeah. But then every time the poo made a plop, yeah, <laughs> it was it was very funny. Yeah. But that also like really helped alongside the very held. Held where we were, I was talking with them about um, whether or not they are an inviting performer, whether their their mode of performance invites people in or not, because they don't really smile at the audience in that piece. They're not like kind of oh come into the room. They're very much in the zone. But actually, I felt for me because a lot of the stuff was was resonant for me that removal allowed me to really come in and allow me to really invest and see what they were doing and see myself and what they were doing as well. I, um, I found that piece very inviting in that, um, so it was in, it's in this room that's been titled The Vestibule where a lot of the durational work has been going on for the last few days and um, it's my favourite space. It's a really nice space and like one of the first things that happened that when I walked in and this was on the first day I walked into the room saw Jack there and um, they fixed me with this kind of really intense, direct, full-on, I've seen your face and I'm looking at you, glance. 
um, before doing like a kind of struck down the runway and at that point I was like yeah I'm, I'm like in this piece because this, pers this person on the catwalk has seen me and acknowledged my presence and that was really nice even though they don't feel like they needed to smile to make it inviting. Yeah, yeah same. I feel like the eye lock and the look for like those 10 long seconds and then the walk did it. Had you, so, um, for, <laughs> but just to be clear, you, you've also been hosted by Jack this week, yes, right? Yeah. So you've been staying in their it's house. Been a lovely experience. Um, but you didn't know them before they didn't know you. Had you did you meet before you saw the piece? Or was no. your first meeting yeah. them the in their piece? piece? That's, we turned up that's but they definitely smiled. Which was because you said they didn't smile during the piece and they were like straight Which is a lie and they did actually smile at me as well. They smiled at me yeah, too yeah. and I was like, I know you recognise yeah, me yeah. and I know you know that we're the people that are staying with you. So what, that was really nice. What a beautiful way to meet your host for a week. Yeah. Here, is, here are some videos of me on the toilet. Yeah. Here's me burying <laughs> Here's myself. everything that you need to know. <laughs> they did come off and be like, oh shit, I was like scared that you were seeing me for the first time doing that and we didn't get to chat no. before and we were like but we loved it it was fine it's a, it's a great a great it's great highlights yeah yeah definitely. it really was um okay anything else that we've seen that you'd like to comment upon seen or like from the festival in the last few days uh, oh i really you know what so loads of people walked out during this and I wasn't sure why, because I loved it so much. And it was the drone dance piece. Okay, yeah. And it was like, after 10 minutes, it was like, I'm gonna go. But I loved it so much, mainly because I was like, obviously, I'm so into like queer stuff and gender stuff, and it had none of that. But it was the kind of thing where I was like, these people have this knowledge to reprogram this like, vacuum cleaner to do a dance by using their phone so they use their phone to like control the vacuum cleaner and then they got these vacuum cleaners to teach people how to dance and I thought that was amazing I thought it was hilarious I, I am one of the assholes boy. who walked out but that was only because I <laughs> felt it wasn't going to change after quite a long time and I had to go pack up my stuff yeah and fair enough and I think it was meant to be like a durational thing that you walked yeah. in and out of but it was in a room where you kind of went in and you felt like you were locked it, in there. To be fair, I don't know if it was intended to be no, that. It was, I think it was, it was intended it was to like, be It was like a one-hour piece. Like, if you've got like two little robots that you've attached bells to, that's cool. That's like a nice starting point. And having bells that you put on people's legs is a nice idea. And then it's like, what are you going to do with that? Um, what I think would be not interesting would be to have an automated voice repeating sets of dance moves incredibly slowly so that it's not even interesting to watch. But I found it so fascinating, <laughs> which is what I, I don't know why, but I was like, imagine it being a show with 10 people, right? And 10 robots, and these robots taught each person how to dance. And then these 10 people had that experience in a smaller room just doing that thing, what they did. I feel like if you were the person dancing, you'd have a different experience. Yeah, it would have been more fun if you were dancing, but to watch. I loved it. Hey, you know what I just thought when we were just talking about that? The other thing that we haven't talked about that was really great was um, FK Alexander smashing oh, up the car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was really great. It was really cool. Um, so she, uh, I don't know what. They? They? they. Yeah, I don't know. I'd go with they. I yeah. don't know. 
they were wearing this like um it was almost like a superhero set of shoulder pads. And it was like football, football American yeah, like football. American, American football. Yeah. football. And then like a pair of tights and a pair of boots and like leather gloves with these RSI wrist things. And um, they were, when everyone came into the courtyard where there was this old car, they were sitting on the roof of the car smoking a cigarette with like a megaphone blaring out a siren. Yeah. siren. And then they proceeded to spend an hour smashing the shit out of this car. And it doesn't sound like amazing when you put it like that, but <laughs> um, they were so angry and it was such a kind of wish fulfillment piece yeah. that I feel like everybody that was standing outside was like, yeah, I would smash up a car too. And like having seen, this is my third festival, and having seen FK's work each year, that has always involved being in that courtyard, has always involved destruction, has always involved their anger, and see that I was talking with Abby earlier about this because um, I'm not sure how they identify but definitely um, on the femme end of the spectrum in terms of how they, how they present I'm pretty sure yeah. identifies as, as female but to see that kind of body in that power position and being dangerous really dangerous really genuinely dangerous and taking risks last year there was a piece where um, they had the two lines of fire and were dragging another performer through the fire and then being dragged through the fire and the year before was like a ritual destruction of a lot of their possessions but it's it's such it's such important work I think yeah it's really great to watch I'm really great to watch I thought it was amazing it's like seeing a superhero yeah like breaking the shit out of things and being like, you know? Yeah. It's the kind of stuff that you don't get to do, right? You don't yeah, get to, absolutely. You, like, you think you want to smash stuff up, but you don't get to. Did you know what I loved about it as well? Was the, the guys watching from the high window yeah. that were not part of the festival? Or maybe they were there from the council to make sure that nothing all got hurt. Yeah. But like, and in pre- again, in previous years, I mean, you know, we talk about overcoming obstacles. And it's worth mentioning the festival is situated in Govan, which is not the most liberal, um, affluent area not and it's not it's not a liberal or affluent area of Glasgow and has had a lot of um, shit in recent years um, and that's where the festival is situated and I think the attempts to cite it and to connect with that community or to invite that community in whilst not always successful have moments where there is that connection and again being visible in gov- visibly different in Govan as everyone at this festival pretty much is wearing you know incredible clothes and standing out is a re- over the over three years now of going there there is a context for the for the people of that community even if it's like okay you know here's this weird festival that I don't understand but at least it's it's there and it's fully tolerated in their community space and participated in and the local cafe was making the food and they were great to talk to they had a really um, good engagement and they had people watching the thing and I remember two years ago they had a youth group come as well Um, we're still going huh they had a youth group come and see a lot of the work and FK's work was the piece they all got the most excited because they couldn't believe 
that sh they were just like smashing shit up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing to watch. It was amazing to watch. It reminded me a bit of um, the Katie Bird thing with the smash laptop as well. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is great. Did I you, saw that. I didn't see it. I saw ago. that uh, last year. Last year. Were you not there? No. What's the piece? It's like they, 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 you know, they do that like they're sort of like a little girl thing, like a petulant and spoiled girl, and they have this laptop and they just like basically. Smashed it. See, you know, these are things. I know this is really weird, and I'm only really saying this because it's like 12 a.m. and we're here. Where I'm like, where do they get the funding from to get laptops to smash and cars to smash? Yeah, I it's a genuine but, question. But I think, boringly, you can buy a laptop that doesn't work for not very much money on eBay. Can you? Yeah, and you can buy and you can buy a car that doesn't work for a hundred quid. So actually, they're. I reckon they're probably quite achievable examples. But we were talking about the finances of some of the other pieces and like you know, the South African piece that had a lot of expensive um, yeah. kink gear in it. But I mean, it's what how you choose to use the funds available. Yeah. And I think it's how you choose to use the funds available, whether that's 50p or 15 quid or 200 pounds or like 15k that you've got from the Arts Council or you're super loaded so you've got access to more stuff. Yeah. The more interesting thing is what you do with that stuff and what you do with the, with, with the people. Is there something about the pay where you can model that's the yeah. same as that? You know that it's Because all the artists relative. get paid the same thing. At yeah, at the Yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I disagree. I don't think that the more interesting question is what you do with the money. I think of access to funds is absolutely central to what kind of art gets created and who gets to be seen and um, like if you're coming at it from the perspective of not having any money you can't you don't just have a hundred quid to spend on a car yeah. and that's like only the hundred quid for that car there's all the funds that are like associated with even being able to get to like a space or and transporting the car yeah. and like you know I think, yeah, I, I think about that loads because I feel like everything I make involves no money. Like, what our entire show was made of what, 10 quid? Because all our costumes were from our wardrobes. Uh, everything, I guess our time was given up for more than what we're paid because everyone's paid a certain amount, but we wanted to do this. But apart from that, we didn't buy a single thing that went on that stage or that we used. And sometimes I wonder where like users come from, but maybe that's because I'm at the stage where I don't know how to apply for funding yet, or I don't know how to do anything yet. It's definitely, a, I mean, it's definitely a, an obstacle to overcome, and there are tons of flaws with the funding situation that we're faced with, and also we are lucky enough to be, and while well, we're based in England, where the funding situation is slightly less healthy, I think, than the Scottish funding situation, which is still not super healthy, but they. Scottish artists do have more access to, um, to funding, I think. I guess, like, I don't mean, I don't put a, a value, I, like, I don't mean to dismiss it as a thing, but just to say that the money isn't the interesting thing. Because yeah. you can have all the gear, you can have all the money and still make bad art. But it's and also, you can make it's also great the question of, um, less. like, how, so maybe a thing that I should have talked about that I haven't talked about is the obstacle of being able to spend your time making art and um, like I guess I'm lucky in that the day job, the, the journalism job that I have that pays for me to live is one that I can move around time wise but like 
a majority of people who might want to make art are not artists because you have to like live and even having the money to spend on like your props is not even like the main financial question about being an artist like the main financial question is how do I find the time to make art while still having the time to work to make money to live to fund my art making time and that's like a massive privilege issue and a class issue and it and I mean and as well as the, well, the, the practicality of doing it once you've made the decision to be, to be an artist are actually slightly, are, are slightly different to the issues of actually getting to the point where you feel that's a valid choice that you can make. Yeah. Because what, I live as an artist with no investment beyond the funding that I receive and the money I get paid. I don't have funding from my family or anything. But I had a huge amount of privilege to allow me to have the training and the education and even the belief in myself that it was a valid path to follow and to yeah. get me over those those initial years to a point where I can self-sustain and, and make it work by not ever having a lot of money and to make those sacrifices. But I think it's about whether you, how do you get on and how do you see that as a valid thing? And I think, yeah, it's a big, it's a big issue. Totally. It's a big issue. <laughs> on that note <laughs> on that serious note <laughs> but it's a serious note and it's an obstacle and it's an obstacle that we have I've got myself cramped in my leg being uh. on a stair dead leg um, it's an obstacle that we have we three have overcome in our various ways like from wherever backgrounds and I don't really know anything about either of your backgrounds but we are all here and we've all made it to this festival but for sure it's something that we need to keep paying forward. There was, okay, so there was a person who um, came to the festival and volunteered, um, who I introduced you to, who I met at a workshop that I was leading yeah. at, um, a while ago. And I was really happy to see them at the festival. And that felt like a big, um, a big deal for them and a big kind of, uh, big, I felt like it was a real beginning for them on their journey. And it would be interesting to see it like, we just go and dance. We should, oh my gosh. I can hear people having a great time. Thank you so much for um, this first cut edition of the podcast. Have you had fun? Yeah. Yeah. Stay well. Thank you yeah. for having us. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Um, let's do it all again next year. So there we have it. That's what a drunken podcast recorded in a stairwell in a club at 1am sounds like. Uh, I'm going to link to Buzzcut in the notes rather than all the artists individually, but do check out the lineup and the people we mentioned. There was really some incredible work and uh, some of the things we got the name wrong, so apologies for that. Um, thank you to Buzzcut for hosting us, to Nick and Rosanna and all of the team, and to Ray and Krishna for sharing so much on stage and also in this conversation. Uh, I forgot to ask uh, during the conversation for their suggestion of a topic to take forwards in the next conversation, but they have uh, given to it, me, it to me <laughs> latterly, and the topic is the end. It's a good one, huh? So I'll be back with that conversation in a few weeks, but until then, look after each other and take care, and thank you for listening. See you next time.